Amen. It's good to be in a Pentecostal church. Amen. Amen. I don't have to apologize for that here, do I? Amen. It's, it's really good. Of course not. Amen. See, us Pentecostal people, sometimes you just got to, you know, just admit to being Pentecostal every once in a while. Amen. Ain't no shame in that. Amen. Good to be here. Amen. I almost want to dive right in because uh, that's just kind of me. But uh, I want to introduce Pastor Sam Krogan is uh, associate minister of Raven Ministries International. But um, he's also the pastor of a church we planted there in the New Orleans area, Cross Life Fellowship, which is really doing some neat stuff in that. Uh, what's interesting about our relationship, it actually started online in 1995. I got my very first computer, and somebody told me about this website where you can meet Christians. It's called BibleNet.something or another. And so I got on there and found out that there were very few Christians on the World Wide Web. But I met this couple, and uh, they had just been saved a short amount of time and had a lot of questions and just started fellowshipping with them online and discipling them and having conversations. And it wasn't until 10 years later that I actually met them face-to-face. It was two weeks before Hurricane Katrina hit us in New Orleans. They came in with their teenage kids, and we did an outreach in the Lower Ninth Ward, literally 200 yards from the levee breach that just wiped out that east side of, of New Orleans. And uh, we've been working together ever since. So just praise God for Hurricane Katrina and the World Wide Web that did that. <laughs> But those guys are doing a tremendous work, and it's been a dear friend and a dear brother in the Lord uh, with us there. Pastor, thank you so much uh, for your, your invitation to be here. Um, you know, I think about things as a, as a pastor myself for 25 years, uh, doing ministry for, for 30, church planting, you know, teaching at our Bible college and things of that nature. Um, I consider it an honor. I, I really do, and I'm, I'm very careful. Um, you know, when you come into a place that's, uh, that you're responsible for. And we, we make, preachers, we make our preacher jokes about, you know, I have to clean up when you're done. The pastor was teasing with me about that. Um, unfortunately, that's not a joke sometimes. It, it's really not. There's sometimes that, you, you know, the motivation on people. Years ago, I, I traveled extensively. I traveled around the world and preached the gospel, and I really stopped doing it. I, I did for a, a, a number of reasons, uh, primarily... Um, just because of the lack of relationships that really did not exist in the body of Christ. And, you know, Jeanette has been coming to New Orleans and whatnot, and she invited us to come and uh, to teach at the Bible College for a couple of days. And uh, uh, just because of that relationship, I saw the sincerity of the people that had been a part of here, Maggie and these guys, that just get out there and really do it. Folks, when God puts something in our lives, it's not to be prostituted. It's really not. It's to be held dear. I mean, you've got to hold those things because there's nothing that we have worth anything that really belongs to us. Those things are things that Jesus has entrusted us with. And so for myself, you know, traveling around preaching the gospel and uh, going into churches and, and sharing our faith and our testimony and, and things that were sacred to our hearts. And uh, I'm just not a guy that cares to be a dog and pony show. I've got tremendous testimony of seeing God do things, and, but I'm not gonna, I just have no desire to be that raw, raw guy or to have my name and lights or on a, on a billboard. That's just not my desire. I can't say that wasn't, has always been the case. You know, I remember being that young minister and, and seeing ministry modeled. And if you're successful in ministry, it means these type of things. But, folks, my goal isn't to be successful. It's to be significant. Success is always measured in numbers and dollars and cents, but significance is really measured in an economy that only heaven knows something about, and it's those lives that are touched that sometimes we don't know anything about, 
that don't fill our pockets with money, that don't put our name on the marquees. And so I appreciate being here with just humble people that just love Jesus, you know. And so thank you for the invitation, for, uh, for allowing us to come in. And hopefully uh, we can just deposit something. You know, I believe in, 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 in reproducing and sustainability, you know, because, you know, amens are great, but the same guy that amens you one week is a guy that, <laughs> you know the story. And so if we can deposit something in somebody's heart and life that's going to change eternity for someone, you know, that's become my goal. God, what can we do to, to put something in folks' hand that's going to impact eternity? I know that Jesus was willing to leave the 99 and go just to the one. And there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over that one, over that one. And over those 99 that didn't need to repent. And so, you know what? I'm, I remember at 15 years old, the Lord speaking to me and saying, Son, I've called you to minister to the multitudes. I just didn't realize those multitudes would come at me one at a time in most cases. And you know what? I'm okay with that. But I, I really appreciate being here with you folks tonight. And uh, uh, I believe we're going to have a good time tonight in Jesus. And hopefully uh, God can speak through uh, uh, my frailties and all those things associated with with me as a person. Father, but we just come into this place, Lord God. Father, Father, we don't want to, Lord God, think lightly about our brother, Lord God, that's going through this issue with this infirmity, Lord God. We want to continue to to pray through that, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, we've seen you heal. We've heard the testimonies, Lord God. Father, if not personally, Lord God, we've seen them throughout your word, Lord God. So we just... Lord God, not confirm, we affirm, Lord God. There's, there's not a debate, Lord God, to be settled that we hope there's a confirmation, Lord God. We affirm what you've said and what you've done in your word, Lord God. Continue to just encourage my brother in the name of Jesus. Because, Father, I thank you tonight for him, that there's a greater reality than what he might see or what he might feel, and it's what you've said. Lord God, let your word and what you've said become the reality, Lord God, over this diabolical attack upon his body called cancer in the name of Jesus. But, Father, as we gather in this place, Lord God, Father, nobody's standing in line to get any of our autographs, Lord God. But, Father, we're confident, Lord God, through our faith in Jesus Christ, that, Father, you've redeemed us and you've called us by name. Father, that's our goal, Lord God. That's our goal for that one day to stand before you. And, Lord God, for you to call us by name and to say, well done, my good and my faithful servants. Lord God, we want to do that which is good and pleasing unto you, Lord God, and we want to be faithful in your sight. So, Father, as we come into this place, Lord God, tonight, Lord God, not a one of us, Lord God, not this preacher, not this servant. Lord God, we don't have an agenda apart from Jesus, Lord God. And so, Father, we just make ourselves available, Lord God, whether it's in speaking or whether it's in hearing or praying, Lord God, just believing. Whatever it may be, Lord God, the reason, Lord God, that the steps of of good men and good women have been ordered into this place tonight, Lord God, for whatever the reason, Lord God, we want to trust you that this is a moment, Lord God, that was seen, Lord God, in the the dateless past, Lord God. it's It's a time and a moment, Lord God, that echoes in eternity, Lord God, for a plan and a purpose, Lord God. We're not, Lord God, want to waste your time when we know that you've not wasted ours, so, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would take authority, Lord God, over every heart and mind, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that you've put down every power, every principality, Lord God, that would come against us in the name of Jesus. 
And so, Father, in this place tonight, Lord God, touch our hearts, Lord God. Just make them pliable in your hand, Lord God. Make them fertile soil, Lord God, for the deposit, Lord God, of the seed of your word tonight. Lord God, I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that your spirit, Lord God, would be here, Lord God, bringing freedom and liberty in the name of Jesus. That, Lord God, your power would be known and made manifest, Lord God, that you would be glorified, Lord God, above every other name. And we thank you, Lord God, for those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, you know, when I come to a church, I like to look around and kind of see if I need to pull out my King James notes or my NASB notes or my NLT notes. <laughs> but you guys are kind of a mixed crew. I was kind of looking at the binding and see if I need to, which one I'm just teasing with you tonight. But if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9. chapter 9, and I'm going to pick up tonight in about 50, verse 57. We're going to back up a little bit and go a little bit forward, but if you get to Luke 9, 57, you'll be able to track me down pretty quick uh, this evening. Folks, in January of 1991, uh, as I was pastoring the church, inner city church in Texas, a brother in the Lord came to me, and he said, Pastor, he said, would you go with me to, to New Orleans? And I kind of made a joke about it. I said, well, what do you want to go to New Orleans with you for? He said, well, they got this thing called Mardi Gras. And I laughed. I said, yeah, I know all about Mardi Gras. And uh, I said, I've seen that episode of Cops or, you know, you know, like we did. And he said, Pastor, he said, uh, about two million people find their way into the Crescent City during carnival season. And they have one thing in common. And I remember in the back of my mind thinking, yeah, they're all crazy and they're all drunk. And he cut me off in my thought. And he said, no, they need to know what we know, and they need to know who we know. Now, I was busy. I counseled. I pastored a church that was busy six or seven days a week, and, you know, young family at the time, and all these things that I'm doing. But uh, when somebody says something like that, you know, it's kind of the end of the argument. You know, that's where the rubber meets the road, or as my wife tells me, suck it up, buttercup. You know, you just got to do what you got to do. And so we loaded up nine people in a van that we borrowed, of all things, uh, the guy brought it to our house the night before we were going to leave on that Thursday evening in early February of 1991. He dropped it off at our house and went out, and there wasn't even seats in the van, just the driver's seat. So we put some beanbag chairs and a rolled-up old mattress, and we made a 925-mile Holy Ghost hippie trip from Amarillo, Texas, all the way into the city of New Orleans. And I remember getting out of that van that night and thinking to myself, what on earth have I done? Now, listen, I preached in churches, raised up, you know, uh, uh, Pentecostal talking in tongues, casting out devils and shouting and dancing. You know, you know, man, you get the Hammond B3 out and come on, we'll have a we'll have a time. But there's something about diving into an unfamiliar atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? You dive into a place that's inundated and it literally has been given over to, to the adversary and, and is known for evil and all of those things that a New Orleans would be known for at a time called Mardi Gras. And feeling undone and having the Spirit of God really rebuke me and saying, are you going to let the fact that you feel uncomfortable stand in the way of someone else's eternity? Folks, he didn't let the fact that he was very uncomfortable on his way up Golgotha's Hill that day stand in the way of that opportunity for us to know him for eternity. 
So it was one of those gut checks. And for me, it was like an epiphany and the scales were pulled off of my eyes when I read, when I'd read Matthew 9, 35, 36, and 37, it says where Jesus looked at those multitudes and he was moved with compassion. I had to be honest with you. I could look at multitudes or going to a shopping mall or a crowded restaurant and not be moved with compassion, but want to go shopping or wondering why I had to wait an extra 10 minutes for our table or whatever else it was. But I remember looking at that multitude of people and seeing it like he saw it and knowing I had to do it like he did it. Now, folks, we parade and we parade and we call a lot of things Jesus that at the end of the day don't have a whole lot to do with Jesus. And so we dress those things up and we think if we say it enough that God's going to put his endorsement upon those things. But I'm still confident that he's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. And what you win them with is what you win them to. And if it takes a pizza to get them, it's probably going to take a pizza to keep them. But he's able to keep those things that we commit to him. And so all of those plans, agendas, ideologies that I had and presuppositions about who I was going to be, they were, they were ruined and they were nullified in a moment where my eyes were, were, were peeled open and I saw what mattered to heaven. Not all those other things that we strive for in ministry or what we desire, but the things that Jesus came for, but to seek and to save that which was lost. That was it. He came for that one purpose. He didn't uh, call me to administrate church business just to administrate. He may have given me an administration gill, uh, uh, gift to seek and save the lost. He didn't cause, give me ability to sing just to sing. He gave me the ability to sing so I could seek and save that which is lost. And you could just go through all of those things. All of those things are merely tools to facilitate the end game or the end goal, which is to seek and save that which was lost. And so year after year, after, that, after I had that conversation with him, we started taking people, nine people the first time, and 20 people, and uh, 75 people we were taking in charter buses. And in 2003, my wife and I, uh, resigned the church that we had planted and pastored for 14 years and moved full-time into the city of New Orleans. And we just still haven't gotten over Jesus. Do you hear me? So if you ever want to come and preach at New Orleans' largest uh, megachurch, uh, we meet every Friday and Saturday night in the middle of about 50,000 people who happen into our services under an 18-foot red cross, and we'll turn you loose in the biggest opportunity that most of you probably ever faced in your life. Amen. Enough of that. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Thank you, Jesus. So here's what the word says. In verse 57, it says, And it came to pass. I want to stop right there just for a second tonight. I could probably just take those five words and just uh, really use them for the text and get plenty out of it. But I want to stop Right there, it came to pass tonight because I believe that's where most believers are stuck. Do you hear me? I believe when we say it came to pass, most believers find themselves stuck right there. Now, some of you in your life, I could ask you to you know, tell me some of the promises that God has given you. Tell me some of those ones, not the ones that he gave you to prayer line last week, but tell me some of those prayers and promises that God had given you years and years ago. And now tell me what you're doing with those things. What's happening with those promises? Because I believe that the promises of God are yes and they're amen. You hear me that God is not slack concerning his promises. 
Now, he may be slack concerning your promise or the televangelist's promise or somebody else that hadn't heard from God but says they're hearing from God. But God is not slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that we should perish or be stuck, but that all should come to repentance or a place of renewing our mind or thinking like he thinks. Folks, if I'm walking in a repentant heart and a repentant mind, I'm not conformed to the image of this world, but I'm transformed. And if I'm transformed from who I was to who I am in Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm going to be a reflection of him. So my thoughts and my attitudes and my destiny and all of those things, if I'm truly transformed, walking in repentance and the promise of God, I'm going to lay hold of those things. Otherwise, I'm just stuck and it came to pass. Folks, those five words are in some of your translations that I noticed you were looking at the NLTs or whatever else it is tonight. It's just one word, and it's just that word as, and it's a Greek word chi. And it's just this, this little conjunction. It's just used to, just to, to, con, to con really uh, uh, bring together two distinct and oftentimes conflicting thoughts. You ever find yourself in that place that you have two thoughts and they seem to be at such a conflict with one another? Or maybe your circumstance is a conflict to what God is speaking to you. Anybody ever been there? Us in the ministry find ourselves. Where I'm at or what I see or what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing, it's such a contrast and a conflict to what I genuinely know that God is desiring to do in my life. Period. Now, see, you may have been born with that pedigree or you may have been born with the, 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 the silver Bible in your mouth or all those things. I wasn't. I didn't come from a, quote unquote, a, a, a spirit filled religious family. Uh, fortunately, there was a remnant in my family with a, a praying uh, spirit filled aunt and a grandfather. But my mother and father, you know what? Uh, they just weren't those people. My mother and father for many years were alcoholics. My dad was a successful business person that had to stay on drugs all the time to keep up with this demanding schedule. All of those things. So that was the heritage that I came out of. And so I didn't have that benefit that many people have of a praying mother and a praying father. But praise God, you know what? I, I didn't go off the, uh, the deep end and, and do drugs and all those things. Never did drugs in my life, even though my family did drugs. Never got into alcohol, even though my family were alcoholics. Never smoked uh, marijuana one time, even though my family did those things. I just saw how crazy they were. And at least I was smart enough to know I didn't want to be crazy. Okay? And so I stayed away from those things. But still yet there wasn't that heritage or that thing to, to, to draw from inside of my life. And so a lot of us find ourselves hearing from God even in the midst of those things of not knowing what to do with it. And so we're just stuck. God, I, I heard you say something to me, but how do I get from that voice to see the realization of your promise in my life? And see, here's the problem. It's not just in young people. It's not just in 50-year-old people or 60-year-old people if some of you are that age. It's, 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 it's indiscriminate where we find ourselves. You might find somebody that, that just gets a hold of Jesus and has the audacity to believe him. And they're light years of somebody that's been sitting in a church pew for years and years and years. Why? Because something happened and they didn't want to get stuck. I remember sitting in a kettle restaurant with my pastor at the time. And I was just a young man in my, I think my first year of college. And my goal was I was going to uh, uh, finish my undergraduate and, and go to law school and, and, and parlay that into a political career and all this stuff. And God started dealing with me according to the call that I'd accepted years earlier. And I remember sitting across the table from my pastor and I told him, I said, you know, pastor, I look at, you know, I, I know my goals. I know these plans. I know these things that I want to do. 
but there's something or someone burning on the inside of me that just will not let me go. I feel stuck. You know, I, I, there's, there's something driving me towards success and, and all of these other things that the world desires. But man, there's something so much bigger than any of that. And I, I told him, I said, I look at Psalm 2 and 8. And he says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the world for, for your possession. I said, Pastor, I know that, that was speaking of Jesus. But man, there's, there's, that Jesus inside of me is, is telling me to lay claim to that verse as well. And so my goal isn't to have a legal career. My goal is to, to argue in a different court, is to contend for, for souls and to see people saved and changed and transformed. So something burned inside of me, but I, and hope and all of those things. And how many of you know tonight that hope deferred makes the heart sick? And so here's what I'm talking about tonight in verse 40 through 46 and 47. And it, and it deals really what the, the issue that's at hand. And, but I want to back up just a, a little bit into that previous chapter. And here's what he said. Let me get these glasses on. It's funny when you get about 50, you're reaching for things. And it says in verse 46 of chapter 9, it says... There arose reasoning among them which one should be the greatest. It arose among them reasoning of which one of them, speaking of the disciples, jockeying for position, looking for a place, wanting the pastor to, to release them for ministry, and, and wanting to be the one that got the title or the position or the, or the one that, 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 that scored the highest or the person that says they're anointed or, or somebody applauded at their song. So it arose among them those that were wanting to get recognized for maybe what they were doing in the ministry. Anybody had to go through that? I did. I remember being the snot-nosed, little rebellious, arrogant guy that felt like he had to win every Bible argument and everything else. But it's interesting, now I don't feel like I need to win any of them. You hear what I'm saying? But there arose among them, not among worldly people, not among unbelievers, not amongst those that have never been taught faith or taught the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it arose among them that which of them should be the greatest. And so... Other people were showing up on the scene and they said, listen, these people are trying to cast out devils in your name. In other words, they were afraid of any competition showing up. Folks, well, I've seen that. I've preached in enough churches that, that you can look around and you can see, man, who's kind of walking the right way to get the right attention and who's doing the certain things to get the right attention or jockeying for position. I praise God that I didn't see that in here tonight. And I don't have any reason not to say that or, to, or to not to tell the truth. But you'll see it. There's a, there was this jockeying for position there that is so prevalent in the body of Christ. How can I get recognized? Rather than how can I decrease so that Jesus can increase? Folks, I want to be so good at what I do for Jesus that nobody ever, nobody ever knew I did it. Does that even make sense to most people? I want to be so effective for the kingdom. Amen? That at the end of the day, all people realize is that Jesus somehow had to be involved in that. You hear me? And so people were showing up. They were casting out de demons. And the disciples didn't want any of that competition on side. And it says there also there was an anger that arose towards uh, 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 the, the unwelcome Samaritan village. Well, they don't want to receive you. What about these people? There's an anger arose. that Man, don't they know who we are? Don't they know who we come from? Don't they know what Bible college they, we went through? Don't they know where I preached? What do you mean they haven't rolled out the red carpet and, and, and had my water waiting for me and had everything? Don't they know who I am? 
Do you hear what I'm talking? Folks, see, that's the reality of the word. It's just as relevant today in 2016 as it was when it was pinned then. Why? Because it's a living word and it strikes at the heart and the mind and the motivation of people. So what they say, we ought to just call down fire from heaven just like Elijah did. Well, go ahead. What I would have told him. If you think you're packing that, why don't you go ahead and bring it? If you really think that you have what, what he had and could do what he did, quit talking about it. Why don't you do that? Folks, listen, on the street, I preach on Bourbon Street. Yeah, I preach in churches. I, I teach. I do all those things, teach in our Bible college. But I preach on Bourbon Street. Do you hear me? I do a lot of other things. I, I minister. But when it comes to Bourbon Street, brother, it is time for me to preach the word of God. There's something that for me that burns inside of me. I love all the other things. I, I love discipling people. I love investing in that. But man, Jesus, I, I know he loves me because he lets me dive underneath that 18 foot red duct tape cross with just this irritating sound system in the middle of all this stuff every single week, 52 weeks a year because because man, I'm just must be his favorite. But I get to go out there and preach. But I couldn't tell you the time somebody came up to me preaching and said, Listen, if you say another word, I'm gonna punch you in the mouth. If if, if a week goes by, I'm thinking, man, I must have backslid if somebody doesn't tell me that. But you know what? Ain't none of them punching me in the mouth. Folks, listen, I didn't, I wasn't born with a couple little angel wings floating out of my back. You know what I'm talking about? And so I, I, I know what it looks like to live in the world. Okay. I had to get saved out of that same world. And I'm not talking about that I was the toughest guy. I praise God that I was never the toughest and I was never the coolest. Amen. I just wasn't that guy, you know, that way I don't have some reputation about, oh, back in the day, man, you glad you didn't run into me who I was. Well, I really wasn't anything to run into then. And why do I need to defend it now? I feel sorry for those guys that had it all going on because, man, you're sitting here trying to live and be a, water, a has-been or a wannabe or whatever else. I don't have to have that problem myself. Do you hear me? But I get these people walking up telling me you're going to punch me in the mouth. I say, no, you're not. I said, listen, number one, I'm 50 years old. Why on earth would you want to punch a 50-year-old man in the face? That's going to be impressive to this crowd. Number two, I'm not 12 years old. And at 12 years old, the guy that told you he was going to punch you is the guy that never would punch you. But the guy that punched you was the guy that didn't tell you ahead of time. He just walked up and punched you. Do you hear me? And so I'm not impressed with telling me somebody, somebody telling me what they're going to do to me. And I'll say, no, you're not. You ain't going to punch nobody. You're just a spineless little jellyfish. You're a coward that needs to, get, needs to get a backbone. Plus, if you lift a finger against the servant of the Most High God, God's subject to suck the life right out of you right here. Boy, you ought to see their face then. They're like, you can't do that. And I'll lean into them and I'll say, there's only one way to find out for sure, isn't there, buddy? And they're not punching me in the face. But folks, we're just like that with life. We better call down. For, well, quit talking about calling fire down from heaven and start calling fire down from heaven. Amen. They weren't impressed and Jesus wasn't impressed. So Jesus turned and said to them, rebuking them is what he said in verse 55. He said, you do not know or understand what spirit you're of. He didn't say you don't understand what spirit they're of. He said, listen, you've been with me, you've studied at my feet, and you don't even know what spirit you're of. Do you know what spirit you're of tonight? Do you know what spirit you're of tonight? 
He said, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Folks, I got news for you. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why do we? Do you hear me? He's not, still not willing that any should perish. Even the people that, that, that identi- self-identify as something they ain't and going into Target restroom. He, he don't even want them to perish. Amen. Why do we? Do you hear what I'm saying? If we do less protesting and more preaching to the lost, we wouldn't have to worry about those problems. You hear me? If we do more preaching than we do polling or politicking, I mean, we wouldn't have to worry about these issues. I believe that the government shall be upon his shoulders and to it there'll come no end. Amen. I don't trust them on any side of the aisle. Amen. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. Then our text begins, it came to past all that stuff was going on all those situations were happening all this uh, uh, jockeying for position all this arguing about who should have what and all these problems then it came to pass and folks most people are stuck I believe somewhere between a misunderstanding and a miracle I believe there's people here today. I believe that a big portion of people in some area of your life, you're stuck somewhere between a misunderstanding. Now, that misunderstanding may be very sincere. Do you hear me? I believe the disciples were probably sincere. They were sincerely wrong. But there's a way, Proverbs 14, 12, that seems right, that sincerely seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so your good intentions doesn't make it a God intention. Do you hear me? And so some people find themselves, as it came to pass, somewhere stuck between a misunderstanding and a miracle. Do you hear me? Between not understanding God's desire for your life. Anybody been there? God, what is your desire? What's your will for me? What do you you really want me to do? And so we're just living this life on this endless treadmill. And we're, we're getting tired. We feel like we're breaking a sweat. But we look up and really, what have I done at the end of the day? Folks, listen, that is the most miserable place to be. That you're all worked up. You've done all these things. And at the end of the day, there's nothing to show for it. Stuck somewhere in between these selfish ambitions. Folks, we, we get selfish ambitions. We just don't call them selfish ambitions. Or we'll call them vision. We'll call them the call of God. We'll call them all these things. And all you got to do is say it a certain way. And it doesn't sound like a selfish ambition. I was talking to somebody just the other day, and they were talking about all these things. Jesus, all he does, all he wants me to do is to follow him. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? I said, brother, the problem is with that, that's not all he wants you to do. And I said, as a matter of fact, until you deny yourself and take up your cross, you can't even do that. Do you hear me? And so we want to follow him without doing all the, 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 the requisite things that he demands in advance of even being qualified to fo- follow him. But we're sincere. But we're selfish. 
stuck in that place of, of jealousy of what somebody else is going to get, what somebody else desires, or somebody else is getting a position. Don't you know that I've been here longer, or, or I've done more, or I've made a, a better contribution, or I can preach better, or I can sing better, or I can do any of these things, and, and, I, and, and I need something that, that you got. Well, folks, I, I got news for you. He's still using the foolish things to confound the wise, and not many wise are called, not many noble are called, and I'm a testimony of all of the above on, on those things, and praise God that he's still using people that are just willing to say yes to what he asked them to do. Stuck between seeking some type of retribution. Now, look what they did. I'm going to show them. Folks, if I thought that way every single week on, when I'm preaching on the streets, I'm not getting amens. I'm getting things that I could never repeat in a pulpit like this and don't even want to think about. Now, what if I said to myself, man, God's going to fix you. God's going to get you. Well, I hope not. Why? Because I weep for the people. Amen. I weep for them like he wept for them. And I weep for them like somebody wept for me. Do you hear me? I remember praying years ago as a young pastor. And I was, Pastor Sam had mentioned this to someone uh, earlier that I'd shared this with him years ago. And I'm in prayer and the Lord spoke to me. He said, on the day of judgment, would you only want to receive as much mercy from me as you've given to other people? Well, I knew the answer to that because I knew I needed a tub load of mercy. And he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I said, God, motivate me with mercy. Fill me with truth. Allow me to preach truth and justice and holiness and righteousness. But, Lord God, let me do it with a heart towards mercy. Do you hear me? Or even the things that are stuck in that place that destroys men's lives in the very heart of Jesus, which is to save them. So people are stuck in that place of not even understanding who he is. Here's what happens, folks. We fall into that trap. And so as a result, we never can get into that place of triumph. We're praying tonight, and you keep using that word triumph. I'm like, man, that really affirms something. You know what? We're triumphant in him. But if you get stuck in the trap... You'll never find the place of triumph. So all of that stuff having been said, we all amen that stuff. We, 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 we know those things. We've been there. We, 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 we feel it. We, 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 we know that God said it. We've gone through those things. But here's the problem. We get stuck in transition. Do you hear me? The place between the trap and the triumph is this thing called transition. We were praying tonight, and the Lord spoke to me, and I, and I feel like this is, I need to speak this to this church today. Some of the things that you're doing right now that you think are your ministry or you think you've arrived to that place, it's really just your transition. That you're really in a place of transition, but you feel obligated to call it your triumph. And as long as you are holding on to that, calling it what it's not, you're never going to experience what God really has for you. And so you need to accept the things that's going on in that situation. That's why it feels chaotic. That's why you're thinking, thinking why isn't this working the way it's supposed to? Why am I not seeing the quote-unquote fruit of the things that I thought I should be seeing? Well, because it's not your triumph. Your triumph's going to bring forth the fruit. The transition is going to bring forth the change in you. 
Do you hear me tonight? Your triumph is going to produce the fruit that you're desiring, but your transition is going to change who you are to qualify you to bear that fruit for him. So stop holding so tight to a time of transition when God wants to utilize that to take you from one place, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. This is just that transitional time in your life. But if you set up camp there and build an altar to it, what it's going to do is that transition is going to become idolatry to you and you're never going to advance into a place of victory in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen, most battles are lost not in the trap. They aren't. Your, your battle that you lose is not in that thing that, you, that, that, that we would call the trap. It's not in the works of the flesh that are evident, which are the... It's not in those places. Why? Because you see those things coming. Do you hear me? Those things are easy to see. You know, most, most people, even though there's exception to this, are not going to uh, miss out on the, God's plan for their life because they decide to, 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 to go from serving Jesus full time to being a drunkard. That's typically not going to happen. Most people aren't going to, uh, the, the trap that gets them, the, the battle that they lose is not, man, that person was praying all the time and reading God's word and, and being faithful to the body of Christ. That person's not going to get uh, taken out because of sexual immorality. That happens sometimes, but typically not. Well, they're going to get taken out because the biggest battle, the easiest place to get defeated is in that place of transition. Because it looks just enough like what you desire, and it's not where you were. Do you hear me? And so you're there, and it took an effort to get out of the trap. Now you're in transition, and so it's easy to stay there and think to yourself, now it's time for me to rest. Now it's time for me to take a little time off. Now I've arrived. Yeah, I've got a little position. I've got a little opportunity. Some doors are opening for me. So you know what? This must be it. This must be what God has for me. Folks, listen. Why miss out on the miracle due to a misunderstanding? Not having an understanding of the place that God has taken you to. Folks, listen. I planted that church in Texas and spent 14 years, Melanie and I did, praise God, young couple, early 20s, taking the church that nobody wanted, the pastor killer in the neighborhood killer, literally neighborhood killer, it was a killer neighborhood. Here we are, we, we took this work, poured 14 years of our life into it, but that was just a transition. That was designed for us. That was designed to humble us. That was designed to, to refine us. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. That was our fire. Why? Because that was designed to expose all of those things that were inside of us that would have testified against us on the day of judgment had God not brought them to the surface and consumed them. And so he brought us to a place on the backside of the wilderness and exposed our hearts so that he could deal and change and transform our hearts. Why? Because he knew that the promise that he had for us demanded us being dead to self so he could trust us with it. You hear me? And so don't talk yourself out of that place that God is bringing the transition in order to equip you for that triumph, for that place, for the miraculous. Folks, listen. God called us out of Texas, 2003, October. By November, we were in New Orleans with a, the call, with a vision, with a mandate, whatever we want to term those things. And so we just got busy. 
Now, prior to that, God began to speak to us. He said, listen, I want you to establish a training center. I want you to, to do all of these things. I want you to have a place in the French Quarter to be able to minister to people and all those things. That was 2003. Folks, it's 2016. And you know what? Those things are just now happening. Do you hear me? Why? Because we went to the streets and we got busy being faithful. That's it. Now, we have a building on the expressway seven minutes from downtown New Orleans, 20,000 square feet under roof. I can sleep hundreds of people in this facility. Um, we've got, uh, it was, I think it was appraised at $1.2 million, and it cost us zero. Zero. Now, listen how this happened. A brother of the Lord called me up and he said, hey, because he had heard I looked at this building a couple of three years beforehand. We've been in it two years. And he said, whatever happened to that building that you looked at? I said, you know, brother, I said, I, it's still sitting there, I guess. He says it's still for sale. It, was, it belonged to another Bible college. And I said, well, you know, when I called the guy up initially, he told me that it had appraised for over a million dollars and they had it on the market for 800000 but that he would let us have it for 450000 which was owed against it. And I didn't happen to have a half million dollars laying around that day. So, you know, I just kind of put it on the back burner, you know, was a few bucks short. <laughs> Actually, $449,999 short. I think I probably had a dollar that day. And I said, you know what? I haven't heard. He said, I just feel like the Lord is saying you need to call him now. And I said, you know what? I have the chancellor of the university's number in my phone still. I said, let me just call him up. So I sent him a, I sent the chancellor of the university a text message. And I said, hey, is your building still for sale? And he calls me up immediately. He says, hey, you still want that building? I said, uh, yes, sir, I, I'd really like to have it. And he said, listen, I meet with our board of regents on Friday. He said, make us an offer, a ridiculous offer, and we'll see what we can do. That's what he said. Make us a ridiculous offer, and we'll see what we can do. So I called my friend up, and I said, well, he told me that. And he said, well, what did they tell you last time? I said, 450. He said, well, offer them 300. I said, well, 300 would be generous. I said, I specialize in ridiculous. And I said, I'll get back with you. So I, on Friday, just like I told him I would, I sent him a message back. And I said, would $175,000 be too ridiculous? And he immediately sent me a message back and said, sold. A $1.2 million building sold for $175,000. Now, my math isn't the best subject that I had in school, but that's over a million dollars off. What's even funnier is I didn't happen to have $175,000 on me that day either. $174,999 is what I actually was lacking. Two days later, a brother in the Lord sat down with me and said, the Lord spoke to me three years ago and said I was going to buy that building. He said, when the Lord spoke to me, I didn't have a nickel to buy that building. He said, God has since put that money in my hand for that purpose. We went to closing. The building was paid for. But the Lord spoke to me about that building in 1996. But I didn't take possession of that building until 2014. Everything prior to that was transition. Transition. Qualifying ourselves to possess the promise. Because when I inquired about that building, I wanted that building. I didn't need that building. Do you hear me? Yes, yes. 
I didn't need that building. I needed God to do something in my life and in our hearts and in the plans that he gave us. And so what we did is we became obedient to the point of need. Do you get that? Because he will supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. Folks, your triumph, your miracle is going to be tied to need, not to desire. Do you hear me? So when God allows you to transition from just a place of desire, God, I want you to use me. God, I want to preach. God, I want to do something. Well, he brings you into that place of transition to see if you're going to be obedient to the point of need. And so what did we do in the course of time? We went out and got busy. We started bringing people to Jesus. We were having church in our home. We were discipling people. We were moving people into our spare bedroom. We were do- We were creating a need for God to deliver upon his promise to qualify us to take possession of those things that way he could test us and, and refine all of those things out of our life that way they wouldn't surface in the middle of our promise do you hear me but what we do many times is we stop in transition because it gets too hot. It gets too uncomfortable. It causes us to die. It causes us to finally say, you know what, God? Some of those things that I said were you were not you. They were just a pizza too late at night. Or they were just my blind ambition. Or they were pride. God, some of that stuff that I said was you was not you, Lord God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to repent. And I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to transition my thinking. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to get the mind of Christ. And the things that you value, I'm going to value. Folks, listen. The things that I do are anointed. I ain't bragging. You know why they're anointed? Not because I said, God, here's what I'm doing. Anoint them. I saw what he was doing, and I got in the middle of what he was anointing. Do you hear me? Because I only do what he did. That's why they're anointing. I, I, don't, they don't, I don't do it because uh, Pastor Troy prays enough hours of the day, or I memorize enough scripture, or I've got these things together. No, what I did, I trusted in him, and I got next to where he was. Even when he was in the middle of my transition, when he was in the middle of the trial, I just grabbed a hold of him. That I may have to go through the fire. I may have to go through a humbling experience. I may have to deny myself. I may have to, to die to those things that I thought were you. I might have to come clean on some things that are in my life and allow you bring those things out. But Lord God, whatever you're anointing is what I want to do. And so I just do what he anoints. He anoints preaching the gospel to the lost. I'm going to do that. He anoints praying for the sick. I want to do that. He anoints teaching his word. I want to do that. He, he, he anoints ministering to the, to the broken and the, and, the, and, the, and the lonely and the destitute and the fatherless and the elderly. So I want to do those things. Why? Because that's what he anoints. And it came to pass, it says. That's the transition. If you avoid it, you avoid the triumph. If you avoid it, you miss the miracle. Do you hear me? You avoid those things. You're going to avoid ever taking possession of those things that God has for you. Your triumph, your miracle is the realization of the kingdom of God in your life. That's what it really is. John came preaching in Matthew 3, 1 and 2. He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's attainable. And we know that the kingdom cometh not with observation. The kingdom is 
inside of us. And so what happens is God works those things out of us that he can take up residence inside of us. Because 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? That's where the kingdom resides. That's where the miracle resides. That's where the triumph resides inside of us. Not on all these other things that men hoop and holler about. Not on all these other things that we get the accolades of men. But these things that happen that get the attention of heaven. Do you hear me? Not saying I cast out devils in your name and I, and, and I prophesied in your name and I did miracles in your name. Folks, the reason they had to do it in his name, because they didn't do it according to his will. So we'll do a lot of things in transition in his name that are never a part of his will. Depart from me. I never knew you. You that work lawlessness. Do you hear me? I know somebody did. Amen. <laughs> That's why you like being in a Pentecostal church, because they just hear better than Baptist. Amen. Wow. There you go. Transitioning from the problem into the promise. I said I wasn't going to just hang out on that one word, but here I go doing that tonight. I'm going to hurry. Somebody say hurry. Oh, thanks. And it came to pass as they went in away, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Anybody ever said that? Amen. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have airs, and nests uh, have the air have nests, but the Son of uh, Man does not even have a place to lay his head. And he said, Another said, Follow me. And he said, Lord, but allow me first to go and to, to bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell uh, for those that are in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. What is going to get you? What is going to allow you to move from that place of transition into triumph? What's going to allow you to do that? Folks, I want to tell you something so very simple because I don't want to set you up and not giving you the simplicity of the gospel. Folks, this is easy stuff. Do you hear me? It's simply putting my hand to the plow. I'm going to occupy that place until what? Until he comes. I'm going to occupy a place of obedience until he comes. I'm going to occupy a place of faithfulness until he comes. I'm going to occupy a place of humility until he comes. I'm going to occupy a place of diligence until he comes. I'm going to occupy that place regardless of what that place looks like until he comes. I'm going to keep occupying it. I'm going to keep occupying it. And I'm going to keep occupying it. That way I'm smack dab in the middle of where he wants me when he shows up. Do you hear me? Folks, listen, if I was looking for a ride because my car broke down, there's two ways I could get a ride. I could stand on the side of the road like this and hope something, somebody stopped and gave me a ride. Or I could get right in the middle of the highway and I could flail my arms. Right? I could hope or I could get in the way. Now, if I get in the way and I occupy that place until he comes, one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to stop and give me a ride, or they're going to run over me and call me an ambulance. But nonetheless, I'm getting down the road. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
And so if I have to get in the middle of obedience in order to get my ride to, to move faithfully in that place of transition, I'm willing to put myself at risk. Do you hear me? Yeah. Folks, every single week I take teams, a, a dozen, 20 people out on the streets. I've got a, a small army, but I tell you what, when God called us to New Orleans back in 2003, some of the nights that I went out there and I was contending with, with people in that environment, it was just me and my 12-year-old daughter. Your 12-year-old daughter? Oh, yeah. That daughter ain't 12 anymore. She's 25, married, got a couple babies and a, and a, and a, and a Holy Ghost-filled husband. And you ought to hear this child rip and roar on the streets. She will set that place on fire like napalm. And it became contagious. Why? Because we occupied. Father, listen, this is what I got. I got my 12-year-old daughter out here, and I tell her, Kayla, I'm going to pray for you. You got to be Holy Ghost filled. You got to be able to contend. You can't shirk, uh, shirk back. You can't be intimidated. And I tell you what, she took it, and she believed it, and she's a dynamo for Jesus. But we occupied, and what ended up happening? We began to take territory. Just this past month, uh, two months ago, we opened up actually a building. We have a facility less than 50 steps off Bourbon Street on Bourbon and Toulouse. And we pull people off the streets constantly, bringing them in off the streets where it's quiet, praying for them and ministering to them. We have taken a ground right there in the French Quarter, right there on Bourbon Street, and it is driving the devil crazy. Why? Because we were willing to work through the transition and occupy till he came. There's an overcoming power and just keeping your hand to the plow. I'm going to give you four things quickly, and I'm going to close tonight. Here's four ways to keep your hand to the plow. Number one is simply obedience. Disobedience. Folks, you know what? When it comes to the things of God, I'm not real particular what God tells me to do. I'm, I'm really not. Because I don't have choices to be made. Do you hear me? My choices were made for me once I gave my life to Jesus. When I got born again, I was bought with a price, and I surrendered my will to his will. Not my will, but yours be done. Do you hear me? So I don't have choices to make. I, the choices were made. Now, I can take that back if I want to and say, God, I want to walk in rebellion to you, but I gave my choices to him. So my choice is obedience. And so, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to obey. Now, you remember what happened to Saul, right? Saul didn't obey. His kingdom was stripped from him. The kingdom that was at his hand was stripped from him. Why? Because to obey is always better than to sacrifice. So obedience or being willing to say yes. And so when God spoke to my wife and I in, 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 in 2003, he said, listen, I want you to walk away from this church that you've worked on and poured your life in for 14 years. Now, we had a Jesus Cafe pastor that we fed 250 people a sit-down meal. My food bill was $7,000 a month for that Jesus Cafe that we gave a free meal to people. We did a service afterwards for the homeless, and 150 to 175 of that 250 would stick around after the meal to hear the word. Okay? We had a women's house where we took women off the street. We had a men's house where we brought guys out of prison, off, out of jail. We had two buildings that were both paid for, that we had churches running simultaneously in both of those locations. We had an adopt-a-block where we took over the 48 uh, blocks in these at-risk neighborhoods around our church. All of these things were happening, and God said, okay, 
Enough of that transition. I want you to lay it all down. Give it all away. Let somebody else have it. And I want you to go to New Orleans with no support, no promises, no help. Now, I'd had enough skin and hair knocked off of my head by that point to know just to say yes. So we loaded up November 17th uh, and 2003, my wife and I and my children, and we put all of our belongings in the old Yellow Dog school bus, and we took those things to New Orleans, put our things in a storage with no job, wanting to rent a place, try that, no support, no, no funds, slept in a storage building temporarily just so we could be obedient to God and loved every moment of it. Amen. And I've still never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. See, your obedience and your hand to the plow may not be easy, but it'll be right. Do you hear me? But it's going to position you for that promise, for that time of triumph, for that miracle. The second thing is, is persistence. Stay persistent. In other words, be that person that's always steady. Pastor Sam's known me for, for many years now. Listen, there's not two versions of this guy. I'm never going to be that guy that all of a sudden I'm seeing butterflies flying around and doing the crazy. I'm never going to be that guy, but you're never going to see me down here in the Molly Grubs either. I don't live there. I don't live there, and I don't live there. I live line upon line. I live precept upon precept. I'm a predictable guy. I pray. I love my family. I read the word. I preach. I disciple. That's it. I don't play golf or tennis or I'm not interested in who's winning the football game or whatever. I just don't have time for that. I'm just this steady guy. That's it. I'm a boring person. Really. I mean, if you don't like just going to the streets and preaching the gospel, you would not like hanging out with me. Because that's, that's all I do. He preaches the gospel. He serves Jesus. He disciples people. Don't you have any fun? What do you mean, don't I have any fun? Do I seem like a guy that doesn't have any persistence? I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to keep on doing it. I'm not looking for the flavor of the month. I'm not chasing every wind of doctrine. I'm not thinking about what's going to be the popular move or the popular thing. What's going to draw the crowds this week? What's going to do any of those things? I just want to be persistent. I want to stay steady. The third thing that keeps your hand to the plow is expectancy. I want to stay rightly focused. I want to walk by faith. Have you ever had to walk by faith? See, sometimes that's a crazy question to ask saved people. Do you have to walk by faith? Anybody like to walk by faith? Okay, well, let's tell your boss you don't want to get paid anymore. Let's cut up all your credit cards, lock the door to your house, do you like to live by faith? See, we call a lot of things faith, which really don't require faith, period. You know, go to the doctor and get a diagnosis like my brother back there. This requires faith. It requires faith. That's what it requires. Why? Because with all the advances in medical science and all these things, without faith, it's impossible to please him still. 
you hear me? So we've got to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God, listen, I'm seeking you. Lord God, I may get some medical help, but Lord God, at the end of the day, I'm going to trust Jesus. I've got to. I've got to seek God while he may be found. I'm going to call upon him while he may be near. I know what it literally means to walk by faith because God put me in situations during that transition that it required Jesus because there was nobody else to go to. So have that expectancy that God is going to show up because God said he was going to show up. And the fourth thing, resilience. Learn to stay upright. Learn to stay upright. Look at Titus 2.12. He said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. So you can't say, well, that's just you, Pastor Troy. Well, no, that's all men. It's teaching us to deny ungodliness. Anything that doesn't look like him, taste like him, sound like him, smell like him, I'm denying those things. That's what I'm talking about. There's a greater reality than what I see, ungodliness, and it's what God has said. I'm going to deny ungodliness. Well, that, I, I, sir, here's what, here's what the, the diagnosis was. Here's what the circumstance was. Well, that ain't what God said, so I'm going to deny those things. Amen. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to hold on to those things. I'm not going to hold those things precious. That's not going to be the final verdict for me. I'm going to deny all of those things, and I'm going to believe God. To deny ungodliness, worldly lust, whether it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and how to live sensibly and upright and godly in this present age. And so if I'm going to be resilient, I'm going to live upright. I'm going to be, live upright. I'm not going to live that life that I'm always down. Well, how are you doing this week? Well, because last week you were doing real good. Well, this week. No, I'm going to live upright. There's going to be something about me, and I'm going to live upright. Why? Because my foundation is always the right foundation. Amen. Do you hear me? And so I'm not looking to be right. I'm looking to be righteous because the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust in God to hold me upright. He's going to be my shield. He's going to be my buckler. He's going to be my ever-present help in my time of need. That's what I'm, I'm going to walk upright. Why? Because he holds me. He sustains me. And I've been crucified with Christ. And no longer is it I that live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. And the life that I now live is an upright life through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so I can live that and I'm going to deny everything else. I'm going to be resilient. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to be that person that, man, it doesn't matter how, what the circumstance, he just keeps coming. He just, he just wears down. You hear me? I'm going to keep plowing. I'm going to keep my hand to the plow and I'm going to keep plowing. Folks, 20 years ago, when we first went into the city of New Orleans and started preaching on the streets, back in 96, before we moved there in 2003, if you were preaching on that street, you better have bodyguards around you defending you. Serious, you had to. Because it was like going into a hornet's nest. I mean, they were violent, and they felt like they could slap you in the face, and they didn't feel like they had to worry about the police or anything else. I told people what it was like is like going and plowing a field full of rocks. And so when you're pulling, pushing one of those or, or, or having the, one of those plowshares in front of you and like you're hitting rocks, and you're always having to move stuff out of the way. And I said, for years, it was like that. I said, but because we were resilient, because we just kept doing it, it's not like that anymore. I take people out there all the time. Young people, teenagers, 
stand up on top of a box and they're preaching in two different directions at 100 decibels. It's not like that anymore. Why? Because we beat back the adversary through resilience. We wore him smooth out through persistent, resilient obedience. Do you hear me? We just didn't say, I got a good idea. No, we got a hold of a God idea, and we dove in the middle of it, and we stayed dove in the middle of it. So you that are working through transition, get ready. Hold your hand to the plow and just keep plowing. Well, I'm not seeing any results. Well, keep plowing. Well, I'm getting tired. Well, just keep plowing. But the things aren't happening with somebody said, well, just keep plowing. Folks, I'm seeing things come to pass now that I've been plowing on for 20 years of obedient ministry. And it came to pass. That when it comes to pass, my vision is his victory. That's it. So I don't have a vision apart from the victory that I have in Jesus. So in this room today, many of you folks are in transition. You really are. Why? Because you haven't arrived to that place. And a lot of you have just kind of given up and said, well, maybe this is just as good as it gets. Well, have fun there. Have fun there. Folks, I still believe that the glory of the latter house is greater than that of the former. Maybe I'm just too optimistic in my Jesus. Maybe I've just seen him do too many things. But folks, I believe tonight, I believe for you folks, that some of you have been stuck and God wants to get you unstuck. There's too much to do. Do you hear me? There's too much to accomplish. There's too many promises that have been unfulfilled for you to stay stuck. Stuck. 